So we're going to take the first few lessons, I think, um, again, unless there's strong feelings otherwise, to look at the beginnings of the church and the beginnings of churches. I mean, we usually look in the first couple of chapters or first several chapters of Acts and say, okay, this is the beginning of the church, and we view it that way. But there's also a way to look at it and say, this is the beginning of a church. It was the beginning of the church in Jerusalem. And what kind of preparation did Jesus Christ make with those people? What kind of preparation did the Spirit make? What kind of preparation did those people make on their own for the beginning of that church, and how did that church function? And today we're going to look at just the first two chapters, Acts 1 and 2, um, and try to pull some principles out of the function of that church, the beginning of that church, but also the function of those Christians as individuals. What did they do to prepare themselves to even be members or parts of a functioning church? Um, so we're not going to read all of these, these verses, but I would encourage you, I guess each week as we go along, read, you know, a couple of chapters uh, in Acts. Um, maybe this afternoon, read Acts 1 and 2 to get some of the details that I skip over. Uh, and maybe you'll see something that will help you or, or help us as a group um, function better as a church or function better as individually as Christians. Uh, the first thing I w- I'd like to notice in Acts chapter 1 is in verse 4. Um, this, you know, the speaking of Jesus... Uh, he says, and while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. And the point I'd like to make about that waiting is, obviously what Jesus is saying is literally wait. Sit still, don't go anywhere, wait. Something's coming, just wait. But I think there's another sense of wait that we can apply here, and that is, the idea of, like, give place to the Lord. Um, look over in Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12 and verse 19. It's another uh, familiar passage that, uh, even though it may be taken out of context sometimes, even out of context, it stands on its own. Um, Verse 19 of chapter 12. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. Some translations say, Leave place for God, or leave place for wrath. There's a sense of waiting. You don't avenge yourself, you wait. And you allow God to deal with this as His justice demands. I think there's a sense that as Christians we need to wait on Jesus, not that we're waiting in Jerusalem or we're waiting in this upper room for the Holy Spirit to come upon us and that we would have power, but we give place to Jesus. Um, We didn't take the Lord's Supper this morning because we thought it was a good idea. It's not why we took it. We gave place to Christ who set that as an example. Um, We're not singing a cappella this morning because it sounds the most pleasing to our ears. It's not why we're doing it. And we're not doing it because we can't afford instruments. Um, we're doing it because we're giving place to Jesus. We're waiting on Jesus in that sense. He had given them so-called the Great Commission already. Go into all the world and preach. Right? And now he says, 
stay in Jerusalem. Seems contradictory, right? There was something that they needed to wait for. And in fact, they were prepared to be witnesses. They were witnesses of his death. They were witnesses of his resurrection. They could have been wandering around Jerusalem preaching. But he says, wait there for the Spirit. You will be baptized with the Spirit. There are things that we might have the ability to do. We might, within our person or within our mind, we might have the ability to do some things, but if we can't find instruction to do those things, we need to wait. We need to give place for Jesus. It may be that we don't fully understand some passage of Scripture that is instructing us to go do that. But if we don't do it from faith, then we shouldn't do it at all. And that's the point, I think, of giving place or waiting. Whether, whether it's how I live my life on Monday through Saturday, whether it's how I worship on Sunday, whether it's how I engage in Bible studies throughout the week, whatever I'm doing, it needs to be done from faith. I need to be looking, waiting on Jesus, right? giving place to Him to instruct me in how I do those things. So, I, I mean, that's how this starts out, as Jesus says, wait. Um, I think there's another principle here we can look at in verse 6. Um, and we, we, I think, referenced this in the, in the class this morning. The apostles or the disciples didn't really get, get it. Even after, right before he's about to ascend. Verse 6, So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? Now, okay, we get it. You died, you resurrected, so now you're going to go sit on the throne in Jerusalem, right? And Jesus is very patient with them, more patient than I think I would be at this point. But he just basically says, it's not for you to know. Right? He's kind with them. But the point, the principle that I'm trying to get here is they craved answers from Jesus. They didn't think among themselves, hey John, what do you think? Is this now when? Or Bartholomew, come here, tell me what you think. Let's take a vote and see if Jesus should be reigning in Jerusalem now. All we have recorded here is that they went and said, okay, maybe we don't understand what's going on, but we want the answer from you. That's the principle we need to have as well. Um, we might in here decide on something unanimously. But if it's opposed to Jesus' teaching, it has to fail. It must fail. It must be struck down. Um, because we, we should have a craving to know what Jesus wants us to do. How does he want us to pray? How does he want us to sing? How does he want us to talk about the Word, even amongst ourselves? How does he want us to study? Individually and as a congregation, we should have this desire to say, okay, I know I'm not perfect, and if I know I'm not perfect, that means there's something in the next hour I can do better. There's something in the next week I can do better. There's something in the next service we can do better. If we don't admit that, then we're saying we're perfect, which is pretty arrogant. <laughs> right? I mean, we all recognize that. <coughs> but we need, to, we need to bring the application home, which is if we're, not, if we're not perfect, there's something we can do better. We need to crave like they did to know more. What can I do better? How can I better teach about you, Jesus? Or how can I better serve you? Right? 
Um, so there's another principle here in verse 14, I think. Be devoted to prayer. Um, we have the list in verse you know, 13 of, of those apostles. In verse 14 of Acts chapter 1, all these with one accord were devoting themselves to prayer together with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and his brothers. That's different than praying for your meals. I mean, when you hear the word devotion, right, you think of someone who sacrifices something for something that they love. Right? A devoted husband or a devoted wife or a devoted follower. Right? They're devoting themselves to something. They're abandoning everything else to say, I am going to be devoted to this thing. Well, they were devoting themselves to prayer. That doesn't mean exclusive to the other things that Christ had commanded. But it was so present in their mind that it's all, you get the idea that it's almost like, you know what, I've got some, I've got some time right now. I'm, I'm going to be, I'm going to pray. And, and obviously they had a lot on their mind. Wait in Jerusalem because you're going to receive power from on high. You're going to be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Right? I mean, there were, th- there were very heavy things on their mind. Jesus had just ascended from the earth. Right? So naturally they would, they would be devoted to prayer. But if you think about us in our situation, we should be even more devoted to prayer simply because we're, we're not going to receive some divine outpouring of the Holy Spirit to guide us today. We have it written down for us. And so we need to be in this Word and, and in prayer. In this Word and in prayer. Even more so, maybe. I mean, if I was going to pick somebody who shouldn't pray, I would pick Jesus. I'm just going to lay it out there. If I'm going to pick anyone in history who I say, you know, that person doesn't need to pray, I would have said Jesus. But look at how much he was in prayer. Early in the morning before the sun would rise, he's trying to get out by himself alone away from people so he can pray. If the Son of God who never sinned needs to pray before the sun has come up, we need to pray before the sun has come up. Not every day. But I'm saying, if he has times in his life that he needs that, I guarantee you there are times in our lives where we need that. So, individually and as a group, we need to be devoted to prayer. And I appreciate, I liked having more prayer this morning than I've had at Embry Hills in the past. That, that, was, that, that was nice, having an opening prayer and then a song, and then a prayer specifically about the Lord's Supper. That did help me. I didn't... I didn't expect it, but that was good for me. So I think that's another principle. <coughs> Individually, we need to be, be devoted to prayer. And as I said just a minute ago, we need to be in prayer, but we also need to be searching the scriptures. Look in verses 16 and 20. I'm mean 16, 17, um, even through 20. It's kind of this interesting episode. Uh, in verse 16, Peter stands up in verse 15. 16, he says, Brothers, the scripture had to be fulfilled which the Holy Spirit spoke beforehand by the mouth of David concerning Judas, who became a guide to those who arrested Jesus. For he was numbered among us and was allotted his share in this ministry. 
And there's this commentary from Luke. And then picking up in verse 20, Peter again says, For it is written in the book of Psalms, May his camp become desolate, and let there be no one to dwell in it, and let another take his office. We understand that this is about replacing Judas with another person in his office. But Peter did not start out by saying, there were 12 of us, we need to find a 12th. Do you see the difference there? He starts out by saying, David prophesied that this would happen, so I need to pay attention. to." He didn't say, oh, well, we've got to replace Judas because this feels weird now, we're an odd number. <laughs> or, we can't go out in pairs. Or, he didn't give any kind of human reasoning to this. He said, you know, I've been, or he didn't say he'd been reading or whatever. Maybe he remembered it, maybe he's been studying, but whatever. He appeals back to something David said. And he says, you know, David said this was going to happen. And in fact, not just that this was going to happen, but let another take his office. The motivation for what we do, if we change something, or if we don't change something, must come from the Scripture. Not because this is the way we've always done it. Right? Peter could have said, for three and a half years there have been twelve of us. We need to get a twelfth. That's not what he said. It had nothing to do with it being twelve. It had everything to do with Scripture. And so, there's two things that go along with that. One is we have to make our, our will and our desire subservient to Scripture. But two... Maybe this should be the first one. We have to know Scripture. If Peter had never read David, <laughs> I mean, he hasn't received the Holy Spirit who Jesus said would bring to his remembrance, right? Which the Holy Spirit did those things, brought to remembrance the things they had heard before. But if Peter hadn't been reading David, he wouldn't know this. Much less be able to apply it and say, oh, this now needs to be applied today. If we're not studying the scripture, not only are we not going to just know it, know what David said, or know what Peter wrote, or know what Paul wrote, even further beyond that, we're not going to know how to apply it. I'm not going to know how to walk as a Christian. I mean, separate from the functioning of a church, I'm not going to know how to go about my daily business. Um, I'm not going to know how to teach people. I'm not going to know how to answer other people's problems. And when they come to me and say, hey, you're a Christian, what does the Bible say? What does God want me to do? What does Jesus want me to do? And if I can't answer those questions for myself, how, and I'm not studying the Word, how am I going to answer those questions for someone else? That's why we're here. And the only reason God doesn't take us to heaven when we're baptized is because there's work for us to do. Right? He could do that. Get baptized. Oh, you're in heaven. That's not what happens. We're here because there's work for us to do. So we have to stay in the scriptures to know how to address those things in our lives and in the lives of others. Okay? This is all before the church has begun, by the way. I mean, in Acts. Right? This, is, this is what I'm, what I'm viewing and thinking of as like preparation, groundwork. Right? But, it, but it's ongoing. Right? I mean, this church has begun. We gathered together and we took the Lord's Supper this morning. This is a congregation. Right? But these kind of principles are ongoing. We need to continue to develop these things. Um, now in chapter 2. 
it's all it it's almost like okay now they're ready and not not because they made themselves ready but Jesus is ready and so you know they receive the Holy Spirit um, if I could say an overall principle to pull out of this chapter for us is teach Jesus just bland plain that's all that is teach Jesus when you're reading the Psalms or studying the Psalms teach Jesus and when you're reading Joel I mean I'm, I'm referencing the things that Peter pulled out of the Old Testament and pulled out of the law and pulled out of the prophets right teach Jesus and it's going to make you sound funny they sound they, they sounded funny they were Galileans apparently speaking with their Galilean accent in other languages because the people hearing them knew they were Galileans Galileans had this accent everyone knew who a Galilean was right? so now they're Galileans but they're speaking in these languages and these, and these people are saying aren't these Galileans which means one they're uneducated because they're fishermen there's no reason for them to go study other languages they're not going to talk to the fish you know right? I mean they're fishermen so they go fish. That's their education. I and mean, there's nothing wrong with that, but there's no reason for them to know another language. So when you talk about Jesus out there, you're talking another language. You are speaking another language. And people understand the words that are coming out of your mouth, but oftentimes they're not going to understand the ideas. But sometimes they will. And just like the light Jesus described in John 3, there are some people drawn to that light, and there are some people who flee from that light, they're going to be people who are drawn to your speech about Jesus. And it's not because of you. It's because of what God has done through Christ. Right? But He wants to use you. But you're going to sound funny. These people sounded funny. He said they're drunk. People are going to say you're crazy, you're drunk. You're a fanatic. You're a holy roller. You're a Bible thumper. I mean, they have their words then. We have our words now. Right? But, but look at how Peter handled it. How long did Peter spend defending their sobriety? Right? It was one phrase. He said, these men are not drunk as you suppose. It's only the third hour of the day. Now let me tell you something. Right? That's all he did. He didn't get offended. He didn't get defensive. Say, I'm, what do you mean, drunk? How dare you say? Because it wasn't about Peter. This isn't about us. This isn't about this church. Right? It's about Jesus. So we need to teach Jesus and be ready to be ridiculed. Um, actually, Peter put it really well in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 15. Um, he said, be ready to give an answer for the hope that you have. Don't be ready to give an answer for you being offended. Oh, no, I'm not drunk, you know. No, I'm not crazy. You're crazy. Right? No. Just be ready to give an answer for the hope. Right? If someone says something about you, they recognize that you're different. Well, the reason you're different is you have a hope. You have some kind of hope. Your hope is in Christ. Right? So be ready to give that answer. That's, that's basically what the rest of chapter 2 is, is Peter giving an answer for the hope that he has. Telling, says, hey, Joel said this was going to happen. All this that you're seeing and hearing, Joel said this was going to happen. I need to tell you about somebody. And that's what James read in, in chapter 2, verse 22. Right? The hope is Jesus. 
So we need to be prepared to teach Jesus. Um, then there are two, two verses at the end of chapter 2, verse 42 and verse 46. I'm so, somewhat taking them out of context, but not totally. Um, <clears throat> verse 42, they being, being the Christians, the church there, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. Verse 46, day by day they were attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes. They received food with glad and generous hearts, praising God, having favor with all the people. This is some to continue in. Right? Again, we have this idea of being devoted as the apostles were being, they were devoted to prayer. In verse 42, <coughs> the church or the Christians individually, because it says they, not it, right? So we're talking about individuals. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. Richard's got to be devoted to the apostles' teaching. Robin, I mean, every you individually, you in your home, in your life, you have to be devoted to the apostles' teachings. That makes for a functioning church. Not making sure Josh is always teaching something from the Bible, and that's that makes this a functioning church. Yeah, that's got to be done. But every individual here has got to be devoted to the teaching of the apostles, right? That's what makes a Christian a Christian. And then that's what makes a church a church is when Christians gather together. So in 42, they were continuing in spiritual things. This, this is the other thing I find interesting. The apostles' teaching, fellowship, breaking of bread, and prayer. I am firmly convinced this breaking of bread is the Lord's Supper. Because there's a very different breaking of bread described just a couple verses later in verse 46. Day by day... They were attending the temple together, breaking bread in their homes. They received their food with glad and generous hearts. Now, there is a social aspect to being brothers and sisters in Christ. That we spend time with each other, not just in worship, but that we spend time with each other socially. We eat together. Right? We do spiritual things together. It says they were, they were attending the temple together. Right? That doesn't necessarily mean it was on the Lord's day. But they were going together into the temple. Maybe we go together into Bible studies. It's a continuing process. We haven't just on March 2nd started a church and now, okay, I'm just going to kick back and I'm going to ride the train to heaven because I'm on the right train. You know, is that how Marty puts it? You, you, punch, you punch your train ticket. And you just sit on the train, and as long as the train's got the right sign on the side, it's got to say Church of Christ on the side, by the way. As long as the train's got the right sign on the side, well, then I'm going to heaven. I just got to make sure I'm on the right train. Right? That's, that's not the picture we have in Acts. It's not the picture. There is no train. Right? You individually are going to heaven or not. And you individually are going to strengthen this church or not. But it depends on if you continue as they did. And if I continue, right, then you need to call me on the carpet too. 
if I'm not continuing, right, you will rescue me by telling me. That's what we have to do. And finally, at the end of chapter 2, well, I'll, I'll go back and read 46 and 47 again to get the entire thought. Day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. The, re- the only reason for us to be here is to praise God. If we're here because I like you, I mean, that's a reason, but that shouldn't be the reason. The reason is, I want to praise God for what He's done. I want, I want Him to be glorified. I want, I want people to ask me, why do, you, why do you go down and have church in an apartment in, in Midtown? Right? And, I, and then I want that to be an opportunity to give God glory. For, other, for His estimation, right, in someone else's eyes, to be exalted. That's what, glor- that's what glorification is. It doesn't mean he has any more value because he's perfect. But it means what someone else's view of him is exalted, becomes more exalted. That's why we, we do what we do. That's why we continue. That's why we preach Jesus. That's why we stay in the Word. That's why we pray. The end result is, is that God gets praised. He gets praised by us. And he gets praised by those who see us. Those that we interact with. Because it's about him. I mean, he saved us, yes. But even in multiple times in other places, he says, I saved you so that my name might be glorified. He said that to the Israelites. The reason I'm doing this in Egypt is not because of you. I'm saving you, but I want my name known. Because he is the only way to salvation. I mean, the, the picture that I've used in the past that I can't get out of my head is, if you're in the desert... Right? And this is a funny picture, I know, but it helps me. If you're in a desert, completely surrounded by nothing but sand, and you, you're some being that has water pouring out of your fingertips, it doesn't cost you anything, that's just how you are, and you see people dying of thirst around you, wouldn't you want yourself to be known to them? Hey, I'm over here. I have water coming out of my fingertips. Right? It doesn't hurt me. I don't, right? But I have water and you're dying, so I want as many people to know about me as possible. Well, spiritually, that's exactly what God is. He is surrounded by, spiritually, all of us who are dying. And He's trying to make Himself known because He's the only source of life. And He's using us to make Himself known to people around us. That's what He's doing. It's not some ego trip or, right... I want to be famous, right? We're dead. We were dead. The world is dead. And he sees that. And he says, I need to be known. That's why he needs to be glorified. That's why the way we live, the way we talk, what we do here, why we're still here. It's his, it's his glory. Okay. So that's all I had for now. We had these principles in Acts 1, 
kind of prepared the church. We have these principles in Acts 2 that show a very fledgling early church. And then as we go on, there's going to be more things to see when the church runs into issues, how they solve those issues, um, how they take care of one another. So.